Three, two, <coughs> one. This is the time, this is the place, and this is FC3 Monkey Business, your one-stop shop for everything geeky. And, like we always say, since everything is geeky, if you love it enough, you never know what you're going to get. This is your host, I am C. This week we'll be talking with New York Times best-selling author Christopher Moore about his new book, Noir. After that, stick around for upcoming events and our question of the week. Morning, gang. Good morning. Hi. I've got uh, we got a low end crew here at the moment. Well, not low end in terms of quality, but low in terms of like numbers. I've got we got Billy. Hi. Hi, Billy. Tanya's Hi, here. Hi. And Sherry and Chris are on the phone today. Hello. Hello. I was why, gonna say, are they? Why? Yeah, I know. <laughs> why, why so few? You may ask. It's because we had a little tiny little, uh, not like a 1991 level, but we had a, no. an ice storm overnight. And a little weather event. It was and a it wasn't li- even like event. the April of like a couple of years ago ice storm. It was just no. a, It was just a, an annoyance. It was enough to nearly send me on my tush on my way out the, the front door today. Because I hit that top step and that was it. I was I was running. So to, you rolled a one on your decks? I rolled a two on a my two, decks because I actually made the save because of my bonuses. Yeah, because you All didn't right, fall on your ass. Because I did not actually fall, but it came close. And I was like, you know what? Everybody stay home for your own safety today. Yes, that's what we said to See how the well rest Tanya listens? Yeah. I don't listen very well anyway. No, I told I you to, stay home. I it, told you I had to go out and deliver stuff uh-huh. anyway to our uh, folks that were tabling. So I was Where were already, they tabling, Tanya? They were tabling at Toracon. At RIT this at weekend. At RIT, yes. That was cool. I mean, they usually it, don't they do not do table swap typically, so this was the first time that we actually got invited onto campus for Toracon, and that yes. was awesome of them to do that. So uh, That was a lot of fun. Lot it, was, of it was cool to see. asking us about ours yeah. and things like that, so I can't was, wait to see all the people that were at Toracon come out in Absolutely, come to FC3. To FC3. We are hoping that there's not going to be any white fluffy flakes. <laughs> but it is Rochester, so you never know. Anything's possible. Hell, I'll deal with like 50 degree weather in June. There as you long go. As it's not this. Not, not fluffy flakes mile, or ice. Mile an hour winds. Chris and Sherry, how are you guys doing out there? Oh, we're, we're supposed to get snow tonight. You're, oh, geez. We <laughs> are bl- you ba- blaming I'm, Angie? We're blaming Angie. We always blame Angie. <laughs> Angie, you are the, the snow queen this year. Do you think that she's like done I with this? I don't know. Because here's the thing. Every time I take Angie to task on, on the snow and ice, she just laughs and goes about her business. So I think she just finds it the best running joke ever. I think Sherry and Chris have decided that Angie needs to be sacrificed to the snow <laughs> gods. I'm seriously. There's a fatted <laughs> calf and somebody's firstborn's getting it next week if this if this continues. I'm saying, I'm I don't saying know. that right now. What do you think, now. Sherry? Chris? Are we sacrificing Angie to the weather gods? We'll sacrifice. I think Angie is a firstborn, too, so that would work. Oh, okay. Yeah. Are we okay with that? This has gotten awfully dark. (laughs) (laughs) So is the weather. (laughs) This is what weather does to people. We need the sun. We're a solar-powered race, the human beings. We we need the sun, and we don't get it. Sherry and and Chris are done with the snow. Yes. Okay. What I was trying to say was... Sorry. um, I Sorry. think Angie is a weather god, and that's the problem. Okay. Oh. <laughs> she, well, that she's weather goddess is She's not a to sacrifice go. to the weather god. She is the weather god. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> so right. we're kind of screwed. Yeah. <laughs> that's good. I got I to remember to tell her that when it worked tomorrow. Oh, so let's get some business done, shall we? What's that, Sherry? What's that, Sherry? I'm just glad we did this yesterday. Yeah. Because you guys had your um, fundraiser for Central NY Derby, right? Yep. Yes, we at did. The we Wanna... were at Wanna Play Cafe. How'd that go? 
Um, not bad, not bad. We had a lot of people come out and see us, and it was it was nice. We had a good time. Schnezzy. All right, we're going to get some business done? Let's get some business done. Okay, so we'll start with some sponsorship shout-outs. This list has changed a little bit, so brace yourselves for this one. We're going to do our shout-outs to usual. Knox Craft Cocktails and Comfort Food, located at the Village Gate. Selena's Mexican Restaurant, right across the hall from them. The Great Escape Room. The Sherlock Holmes-themed escape adventure on University. And Wibbly Wobbly Timey Wimey, bringing us Caitlin Blackwood, the young Amelia Pond. But we have new sponsors! Woohoo! We do? Spons- we have new sponsors. We do. Pop Rock Comics, Caffeine and Culture, and Redfin Realty. Wow. So a big shout out to Pop Rocks. It's, uh FC3 member Jason Hilton and his gang over there, Colin Delaney and, and on crew. On East Ave. On East Ave. I haven't had a chance to stop out there yet. The really? world's been so lousy. I know. I don't want, because I have to walk and take the bus and stuff, right, right. I don't want to leave with purchases and have them immediately get wet. Yeah, I can understand that. We'll, we'll get you over there soon, Bill. So I, once the weather clears up, it's within walking distance of my mm-hmm. work, and okay. I've been looking forward to it. In fact, it was uh, really nice one day, and I walked down there, but it was a week before they opened. <laughs> oh, so a little early. Like, oh. It was a little early. But yeah, it's a great little shop, mm-hmm. and uh, with the TVs and the tables, and you got you can get your coffee and your cereal and tea and stuff like that, hot chocolate, and uh, mm-hmm. read some comics. Read some comics, play some games, hang out. There's some uh, souvenirs and memorabilia. Big Funko Pop collection. Yes, he's got a um, big. He Funko has a Pop couple uh, Jake the Snake Funkos. Oh yeah. And since Jake the Snake's coming to Rochester to FC three, so it would be great uh-huh. if you guys actually have Jake the Snake Funkos be able to get them signed. Is that a hint, hint you're telling? Uh, could you're telling possibly people? be. I'm if not you, so, telling them anything so that you they tell should a listener, do. They should whatever. go to Pop Rock. Yeah. Okay. Caffeine, Comics, Caffeine, and Culture. Buy a Jake the Snake Funko Pop and then bring it to FC3 to get it autographed. Either that or just big, bring a big snake in a bag. Yeah, bring a big <sighs> snake in a bag and a Sharpie and he'll sign the yeah. snake. Yeah, I don't think we're allowed snakes in the no, I don't. What? What's that, Chris? Just sign the bag. Just sign the bag? Just sign the bag. Sign the bag. Yeah. Not not that he has a problem with snakes. Obviously, he doesn't. No. But I I think if somebody took a snake out, there might be a little hysterics. Well, yeah. yeah. Well, at least hysterics for me. You well, make you know the you news. Do. Think of the publicity. <laughs> you know what you do. We though. don't want necessarily that publicity. Here's, here's what's <laughs> got to happen. We we steal the um the the door wind block from your house, Tanya. The, that blue thing. Yeah, that blue thing. The 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 the, the, big the draft squishy, the, the draft, draft stopper. Mm-hmm. You stick it in a bag and you bring it up. You you bring it into the and you go, hey, I've got something for Jake the Snake, and let everybody's imagination run wild at that point. Go ahead. It, it, it would then become a Samuel L. Jackson movie. <laughs> snakes at a convention. Snakes at a con. <laughs> snakes at a con. No, I'm getting tired so... of these MF, FM snakes at an FM con. <laughs> yeah, no. I just uh, okay. anyway. All right, so moving on. Moving on. Moving on up, moving on up. Uh, Patreon. What is Patreon? Patreon is a membership platform that makes it easy for you to support Monkey Business and Flower City Comic Con. Please check us out at patreon.com backslash FC3ROC. All membership levels will include access to the Patreon-only blog, which I've been bad about submitting my contribution to lately. You did a couple. I've, I've done three so far, I think, but I gotta, I, I'm behind. i got to catch up. Uh, Patreon-only blog, plus tons of great perks at all levels. And Sherry, you just kind of streamlined the levels lately, didn't you? Didn't you just recently do that? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Okay. I also added more levels of if we get to this point, we're going to do this goofy thing. And if we get to this point, we'll do this goofy thing. Oh, some step step goals, basically. So is any of the step goals Chris singing? (laughs) No, but I still have a video of him, of him and Ian that I'm going to be posting soon. Nice. Oh, okay. well, is there any step goals about your Chris fire spinning? 
There is the next goal when we reach it is we're going to start uh, posting videos of interesting abilities of okay. the monkey business cast, and that's definitely one that's going on there. Cool. And I have a g- video of Chris playing with a theremin that I think I'm going to be posting soon. Oh, cool! A what a theremin! One of those uh, the, the devices. Yeah, it's got the it ghostly the kind doctor, of music. Doctor Who noise. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's, it's all done with electromagnetism, basically. Oh. And so you're kind I, of hovering your hands now what's, over it. What's that goal? Because I might have to throw some money up again. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, what is that I goal? When, I think it's when we reach uh, $50 a month. Okay. Oh, and I want to say we're halfway there. Yep. Nice. Okay. All right. What else we got? Apple Podcasts. Sorry, I'm singing. What want to help others find the show? Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Every review will be thanked on the air, and any questions will be answered. We want this to be a conversation, so please send your questions. And if I'm not mistaken, Sherry, we have a question. I think we did have a question. Um, Going to be our question of the week. Oh, nice. Oh, so we'll we'll cover that is. at the end. Okay, so we will do the questions at the end of the episode. Very cool. Um, so in addition to Apple Podcasts, you can now find us on Google Play Music and Stitcher. Is there a place you find your podcast and you can't find the FC3 Monkey Business? Please let us know, and we will make some arrangements. So, That's cool. So we're now we're on Google Play, Stitcher, Spreaker, iHeartRadio. And, and iTunes. And iTunes. That's phenomenal. That's that's, like, that's wild. That's mind bending, right there. Can I say thank you, Sherry, for doing all that legwork? Go ahead, say thank you, Sherry. For <laughs> thank do- you, Sherry, for doing all that legwork. There you go. <laughs> See, it wasn't so hard, was it? <laughs> nice. She's my hero. She is. She's all of our heroes. <laughs> She's everything I'd like to be. I could fly <laughs> higher than an eagle. <laughs> because Sherry she is, is the wind beneath, beneath our, our wings. wings. <laughs> oh boy. She's. Oh. I, th- I think it's time for a break. <laughs> Okay. So we'll go to break. <laughs> we're going to go to break. We're going to go to break. And when we come back, we're going to have Christopher Moore Christopher on the Christopher Moore. little comedy from Tom Kenny. Beautiful. I always liked Batman in the comic books as a kid because Batman Isn't was the committed SpongeBob? superhero. Yes. Uh, yes. All the other crime fighters in the comic books got their powers in what always seemed to me to be very random ways. You know, they walk through a cloud of radiation, bam, become really strong. Uh, Superman, total accident, crash landed on Earth, boom, could bend steel in his bare hands. But Batman made the decision. He looked in the mirror and said, you know, I'm a very rich, very successful businessman. Occasionally, I'm going to dress like a bat and slap the bejesus out of people. You got a problem with that? You know, I used to like Wonder Woman comics as a kid. Yeah, maybe the fact she had huge hooters had something to do with it in my, my fevered nine-year-old brain. You, you get it any way you can when you're a tyke. And now, now that I think of it, but, uh, some things never change. Wonder Woman had great weapons that she used to fight crime. Remember her arsenal of weapons? What did she have? Right, she had her rope or lasso that would make people tell the truth when they were tied up in it. Right, she had her bracelets that bullets would bounce off of. But my favorite Wonder Woman weapon, exactly, she had her invisible plane. That was always the coolest to me as a kid, her invisible plane. What a great idea, an invisible plane. They're kind of useless if you're not invisible, though. You know what I'm saying? The bad guys are down on the ground going, hey, Muggsy, who's that gorgeous babe squatting up there at 50,000 feet? (laughs) I don't know, but she's a honey. Oh, God, she's beautiful. Christopher Moore is the best-selling author of 16 novels of hilariously funny yet touching, poignant, absurdist fiction. In addition, Christopher co-wrote The Grift, 2011, 
and a graphic novel with Ian Corson and illustrated by Jenison Rosero. I hope I didn't massacre that name. An only child, Moore learned to amuse himself with his imagination. I can attest to that since same thing for me. Uh, he loved reading, and his father bought him plenty of books from the library every week. Brought him, not bought him. Anyway, I can read. He started writing around the age of 12 and realized that this was his talent. By the time he was 16, he began to consider making it his career. If you've yet to discover his singular wit, then reading any of his books will get you instantly addicted. His newest novel, Noir, was just released on April 17th. So congratulations for that, Chris, and welcome to the show. Thanks a lot. How, now, we, we apologize because you're on the West Coast and we're on the East Coast. We didn't take that into account. So, so good morning. Thank you for joining us so early. No worries. And uh, and how's things going on the West Coast today? It's a lovely day here in San Francisco. Oh, very um, nice. Yeah, it's it's a beautiful spring day, so it's all good. We we just had a nice storm yesterday, so we're in good shape. Yeah, I know it. it's it's been it's been a hellscape across the U.S. over the last couple of weeks. I don't know why, but I um, happen. I guess I'm going to blame the Russians. I suppose. Um, okay, that's work. That's fair. No such thing as global warming. No, no there isn't. No that, climate change. Yeah, exactly. Here. Yeah, tongue in cheek. <sighs> All right. So, Chris, how many? It's it's sixteen novels have, is under the belt now. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, the, the noir that that's just come out um, is the sixteenth. Okay, and and as you know, I said during the the run up, you know, we we are a a comic book convention team here, and we do love a good origin story. So, I, I, did I cover it? There, what's what's that? What was that moment? for you that said, you know what, I really, I want to write books and this is going to be my career. What was that moment for you? You know, st- strangely enough, I, uh, I think most writers, including myself, you make that decision when it's just, uh, you're just, uh, you're just winging it. I mean, you, mm-hmm. you make that decision, but it's not as if there's a track you can get on. I, uh-huh. I heard, uh, Alex Haley, who wrote Roots, speak years and years ago, and he talked about how, um, you know, you can't expect your family to support you because when you say you're going to be a doctor, there's a certain track that you get on, and and you know after you know, you know, eight years of school and and four years of residency or whatever mm-hmm. that you're going to be a doctor. Same with a lawyer, but with a writer, there's no track. Nobody knows if you're ever going to make it. Most of them have never met a writer, so it it can be a big you know, it, it can be a big leap of faith for them, or they're just going to think you're a lunatic. <laughs> and um, so, so the decision to do it really came out of the fact that I had sort of uh, failed at a bunch of other stuff, and not failed miserably, you know, mm-hmm. face in the dirt, but just a, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't happy doing what I was doing. I think I was an insurance broker at the time, and I had a relationship that had just broken up, and I was living in this sort of breakfast in bed apartment whether you liked it or not because that was only how much room there was (laughs) kind of walk around the bed i think it had been an old uh, motel six hotel room or something that had been converted and i was just sitting there thinking well god why am i doing this why am i why am i doing this this uh this horrible soul-stealing avocation and I thought, well, it's for the money. And then my next question was, well, what am I? What would I do if I had all the money in the world? I thought, well, I'd travel. Mm-hmm. And I go, yeah, it's not going to be enough. And then what? I go, well, I'd write. And so at that moment, sort of at this, this, you know, not hitting bottom in the sense of of 
Alcoholics Anonymous, but just really not liking where my life was going. I just thought, why don't I remove the condition of having all the money in the world and just go for the thing that I would do if I had all the money in the world, which is right. And so at that point, I started really seriously. I was in my mid-20s at that point, Mm -hmm. really seriously going toward uh, changing my life toward writing, which meant moving to a place that was less expensive so that I could work part-time and still have a place to live. So I right. moved from Santa Barbara to a little town called Cambria on the central coast of California where, where you could do that, where people really didn't care how you paid your rent. You know, they sort of treated you with what your aspirations were. Mm-hmm. The first person I met in that town had had a, he was a waiter, but he had a piece of sculpture in the Boston Museum of Fine Art, you know, and, uh, and that was sort of uh, a good incubator. And I was in Cambria for 20 years. So, so it, after I made that decision, it was it was uh, seven years before I sold a book. Um, so a lot of it was, you know, writing short stories and going to writers conferences and mm-hmm. taking extension courses and uh, and then finally getting the discipline to write a book ever ever after having tried everything else mm-hmm. and. Um, and I did the writing every day thing and, and wrote my first book at a diner, um, at the counter of a diner with, you know, a pen and notebooks. Oh, wow. And, uh, and that, uh, that sold, uh, in 1990, um, Practical Demon Keeping sold initially to Disney for a film. It's never been made, but they offered me a ton of money. I was, at, I was waiting tables at the time and my, I had gotten an agent through a friend of a friend of a friend and, uh, they called and said, uh, Disney wants to buy your book for a film and, you know, they'll give you $350,000, but you have to answer by seven o'clock tonight. And cause they don't want it to go to auction tomorrow. Cause Warner and Paramount are looking at it too. Mm-hmm. And I just was, I said, I can't talk to you. I have garlic bread in the oven and you know, I've got to get out salad dressings out to table five. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll be back. And so it was really, it was just a, a that, you know, there were, you didn't have mobile phones in those days. So they were actually calling like the host desk at my restaurant. Um, and I was trying to do my section and so forth. And so that's my origin story is I was literally waiting tables. The drunks in the bar, the restaurant were giving me financial advice. Uh-huh. You know, it's real estate. You've got to have real estate. Plastic stuff. And it was, uh, I took my apron off and, and uh, sort of, knighted my bus girl i put it over her head and i said you are now a waiter because there was just <laughs> no way i was going to be able to finish my night and um and i bust tables for her and she took uh she took my section so it was it was really um in that classic sense of rags to riches it was really that except it took you know seven or eight years of, of hard work before i was able to have that happen seven years to get to the overnight success yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, and really, you know, 30 years if you go, I, I had been writing since I was about 12. I just okay. hadn't really put my head down and, and pursued it, you know, to try and be a professional. Okay. That's, and now Practical Demon Keeping, what came of it then? I mean, the, the movie rights were sold? Yeah, they, I sold the movie rights outright at that point. Uh-huh. Um, and, and that sort of put me on on par with all of, the people my age who had actually been working and, and behaving like adults up mm-hmm. to that point, you know, cause I was sort of living in a friend's basement, you know, in, in a room in his basement that I was, I was renting. And, uh, wow. you know, that's why I wrote the book in a diner is I didn't have room for a desk, yeah. um, in my room. So I, I would get up every morning and get dressed and go down to this diner and hmm. drink coffee and write every day. Um, yeah. so it was, uh, yeah, it was, uh, 
just kind of an act of faith in that way that I'm, you know, if I've, I've got to try this. I mean, nothing else has worked. And uh, it did. It did work. But, they, yeah, they bought, they bought it, and then it went through, you know, four or five scripts. And uh, I think Disney sold it to Sony, or at least the producer left. And mm-hmm. it's just been in what they call development hell for oh. 27 years. Wow. And for our listeners, uh, the the synopsis that I have written down here for Practical Demon Keeping, oh boy, his his not a demon but a daemon. Is that how you pronounce it when you got the A and the E smushed and, together? Uh, demon is fine. It's okay. People get creative. A boy, his demon, and a small coastal town that needs to get rid of them. So, that's cool. I right. own it in hardcover. Yeah. What was that, Sherry? I bought it back in the I I own it in hardcover. Mm-hmm. I bought it when it came, when it first came out. It was my first. Christopher Moore book that I ever read. That's and cool. Wow. Wow, that's an act of faith, too. <laughs> Unknown author you buy in hardcover. Wow. Thank you. Um, <laughs> and, and if anybody can get it, if anybody needs a clue on, on Christopher Moore's sense of humor, let me just run through the list of some of the, the books that he has published over the years. Uh, Bloodsucking Fiends, A Love Story. I'm right on for that. Yeah. Island of the Sequent Love Nun. Uh, I think one of my particular favorites is is Lamb, the Gospel According to Biff, Christ's Childhood Pale, and um, mm-hmm. uh, Bite Me, A Love Story, uh, which actually I believe there's one before that's You Suck, A Love Story. So there's there's a certain kind. Of, and I think they, that goes along with there, blood-sucking fiends. Yes. Are, are, they're, they're the vampire series. Yeah, those are, that's, a, that's a trilogy. Okay. I am so reading that. It took, took place over, I think, like 15 years. Wow. I wrote the first one, and my, pub, my publisher didn't um they they printed like seven of them so the book didn't do well and you can't write a sequel to a book that doesn't do well so after you know it took 12 years for my career to recover from that mm-hmm. and uh and then i wrote you suck and then that one did really well it made the new york times list and so then i um my publisher at the time said you know maybe we should do another one of these and i said sure because at the point at that point i was on this track of i i didn't Thing. They want you to write a book a year, and you know, and, and as you mm-hmm. guys know, in sci-fi, it's more than that now. But for for sort of, I've been on, sort of on the popular fiction track, and they expect a book a year. Wow! And I just can't write a book a year. No. Um, it, especially big research projects like Lamb and my book Sacre Bleu, which is about uh, French Impressionism and so forth. So. I, I had come up with this idea. I'd write a little book and a big book, and I could it would I could write the little book in about six months, and then the big book in about eighteen months. And, mm-hmm. and so the vampire books, the second two were little books, because they're probably uh, maybe uh, I, it's hard to say manuscript pages. They were probably about two hundred fifty pages, but uh, the, you know, word wise, they were about seventy thousand words, as opposed to when my normal books might be one hundred and ten thousand. So. Um, little inside baseball, I guess, on word count and stuff, but I know a lot of your listeners probably write, too, so they'll, they'll know, they'll understand the nomenclature. We, we but, have a few uh, people who uh, participate in the, the National Novel Writing Month competition every year. I, I tried, but, I'm just, you know, life gets in the way, and, uh, you know. Yeah, me too, and I'm supposed to do it for a living. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think... Stephen King's book on writing, he's, he, I think he says something like, "There's no no novel that can't be written in two months." And I'm like, "Oh, are you me? <laughs> no, seriously? It's like... 
Yeah, it's, it's like that's that's like uh, Usain Bolt saying, "There's no hundred yard dash that can't be run in nine seconds." And right. It's like, well, for you, <laughs> I'm guessing that they don't sleep for those two months. No, seriously, it's just you, you know you just mainline caffeine for two months straight, and you knock the book out, and you're all right, off and running. I, the only way that I can I can sort of let myself off the hook on that is I go, "Yeah, but are your books funny?" Well, then shut up. <laughs> my books are funny, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I, I can't imagine I that. Could, I could probably write a book in a month, but it's not going to be funny. No, it's. I, I understand. I mean, I've been. How long I've been working on that one book, and it's, I'm like four chapters in out of fifteen planned. Yeah. Yeah, it's like six years, seven years now. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, I did that. I did that for a, about that long. I did that for probably six or seven years, and I would write these amazing chapter ones and twos. But mm-hmm. I would, but I then I would rewrite them. Yes, I've done that three times now. And for... never get, and then it would just I would just defeat myself because they were never going to be good enough. And so when I finally, the way I finally got over the hump is I didn't rewrite a word. You know, as I said, mm-hmm. I wrote it with pen and pencil, and I would not go back more than a paragraph a day. Okay. Um, to uh, to rewrite until I finished it, and if I would have, I'd go, oh well, man, that's going to have to change by the time because something would happen in the plot mm-hmm. it would require it to be fixed in earlier chapters. I'd just make a note in a journal in the margins, you know, go back and fix, you know, make Travis a girl or something like that, and <laughs> um, and it worked. You know, I I had actually forgotten the last names of some of my characters by the time I got to the end of the book, so I would just like <laughs> write Robert and then a line. You know, and I, I'll put this in later, and uh, and I find and that's how I finally finished the first one after all these marvelous, highly polished chapters one and twos. Nice. Hmm. See, you know, that's that's the lesson right there. It's like you have all these ideas. Yeah, and, just just and, write them yeah. down. Stop stop worrying about it go. and just put it down, and and then you know figure it out later. Um, yeah, fix it later. Well, the thing that happens, uh, and not to not to pound the drum because I know it's miserable when you've been working on a book like that. I don't mean to make it worse, but the thing about it is once you've finished a rough draft, you've written a novel and that's, yeah. and you're a different person than you were because you have that experience than, you know, rather than the guy who's written four chapters. True. Because um, you have a sense of how it all goes together and you can look back at it in retrospect and go, oh, well, that would be better if I, I did this and that. It's tough. It's it's really tough. I was talking to uh, Richard Cadry um on Wednesday, who's written the Sandman Slim series and a bunch mm-hmm. of other books and comics, and he uh, he and I sort of agree that you know it's 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 tough when you do those just blatted out first drafts because you're used to the finished product, but nobody sees your drafts. It can be they can be dead awful as long as you fix them before it comes out, mm-hmm. you know, and it, uh, and and you have to tell yourself that. But it is tough. You can be, you can over overwhelm yourself with with self uh, criticism by trying to make it perfect before it's done. And, oh, I'm and spectacular. You really kind of have to yeah. treat it like the like the SAT test or something. Mm-hmm. Like just skip the ones you don't know. <laughs> I'll figure this out. You can't be too bad. You know, it can't be you can't be like and somehow they get to the other side of the universe, you know. Um although I I've, I've encountered that when I've turned in a proposal. Like the proposal for Lamb I have uh Jesus and his friend going off to the east to find the three wise men and in the in the outline it, I just went well and no and I'll figure this out and I really think it said that it was like I'll figure this out uh-huh. and I got to that part in the book and I'm like I don't have any idea what I'm doing here you know <laughs> and I was stuck for like six months with yeah. uh, with Josh and Biff in Damascus you know because that's which is sort of was sort of the gateway to the to the Orient in those days mm-hmm. and I had no idea what uh, what I was going to do and, and I ended up writing uh, 
writing a graphic novel. At that time, it was going to be a film, but it ended up being the graphic novel, The Griff, with a friend of mine, because mm-hmm. it was a way to avoid this this hole that I'd gotten myself into with this other book. <laughs> anyway, that's probably probably more detail than you guys wanted. But no, it's all good. I was doing it. <laughs> oh no, that's great. That's, that's that's actually that's the kind of detail we look for. You know, we like to to hear the stuff that you don't normally talk about. Um, Oh, oh, good. You should have called me two hours earlier then because I would have just blathered on about <laughs> They're in the night and they're chasing me and they're horrible. When, when, when we do the follow-up <laughs> interview, we'll make sure to plan accordingly. Um, okay, sounds good. On your website, you have probably one of the best FAQ pages I think I have ever seen. I love it. I, we, Tanya and I have been going through it this morning just to kind of you know have ideas for questions and whatnot and get a, get a gist of some of the, the, the way you answer things. It's just uh, we're, we're getting the best, the best laugh out of it. Um, oh, good. Let's see. What was the one? The you... where I can get spiffy author guy merchandise. That's the one where your, your oh. merchandise oh, guy yeah. went off to parts unknown and haven't found a new one. I'm not actually gonna actually read it word for word because Sherry yeah. would have to. Push she has the to press a special button special on Spreaker button. if we read it right word for word. Well, I think I, <laughs> we allow one to go. Well, yeah. So you can drop a good one. We'll make that a choice one. But anyway. Yes. Um, but no, I'm loving the FAQs. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, yeah. The the merchandise. I forgot to take that off of there because I think the my merch guy just disappeared. He went off to be a slack key guitar player. Oh God! Uh, <laughs> There's a story. I swear to God, it was he was great. He made he made all the designs and did all the shipping and everything. And I just all my part went to uh, MS Research. I I never took a dime of it. And then he just went. I'm I'm going off to be a folk singer, and I'm like, okay. Um, and I you know, and it all happened anyway. So that's that one's probably wrong, but the other ones are are dead on. <laughs> so you, you know, we kind of touched on it. We kind of like skirted past it a little bit. But you know, what would be your advice to uh, to some poor poor moron like me who just gets stuck and gets uh, wants to write but has great ideas, um, but gets weighted down in the details? Um, I think as I said before, just. Uh, just treat it like a like a standardized test like if mm-hmm. you don't know it don't stop go gotcha. on and write the part that you do know and and very often and i'm not a big proponent of writing things out of order mm-hmm. i mean uh, i i understand but but because i write comedy and a lot of comedy is reactive i will have a scene or a bit of dialogue that you know maybe goes three quarters way in the book and i you know you have to whatever inspires that Mm -hmm. that you encounter in life that inspires that you know you have to take the advantage and write that down now you never want to fight the urge to write whenever you feel like writing something down don't go oh i'll get to that when i get home Mm -hmm. write that shit down gotcha um and um but but as far as getting the work done you just sort of have to you know keep that timeline in your mind of what your what your story is and write those scenes out that you do know Mm -hmm. so that you're in the habit it has to become a habit. It's it's the, the it was the hardest lesson for me to learn, mm-hmm. and it's also you know now sixteen years, sixteen books in, it's the hardest lesson still for me to maintain is the discipline of it. But if you you know, if you're writing every day, you're going to get better. It's going to become what you do, whether you you know you know you may never get paid for it, but it will be what you do. And um, once you have your pages, you're bulletproof. I mean, I totaled a car one day after I had done my, you know, just for 
just to, for stupid reasons. You mm-hmm. know, went home to get my laundry to take to the laundromat, and I didn't look when I was pulling out of the driveway, and some somebody took the front of my car off, and I was oh, like, geez. "Whoops!" And that, and, and there was a point in time when that would have just been a cataclysmic uh, event in my life, and it was like, "I'm chill. I got my pages done today." <laughs> um, and uh, I, and seriously, I mean, that was something that I didn't plan. It just happened by. I was like, "Wow, I don't feel that bad about this." Uh-huh. Um, so, so you know, you just uh, habit, you know, habit, habit, habit. You hear it all the time, write every day. Mm-hmm. But that's how you get novels done, is mm-hmm. writing every day. And, and going to that page and the idea of getting stuck on a detail. Um, do keep in mind that you have a reader and, and they have a body of knowledge. And, and you can, you know, you can find out what you don't know later on and fill in in that part. I had a friend who was writing a novel and he was stuck for the longest time. Um, and this was before there was a really developed search engines with the internet. We were sort of on, uh, uh, it was, I'd say the early to mid nineties. And it was, we were sort of AOL, um, mm-hmm. CompuServe and oh, wow. one other dial up service was the internet. Mm-hmm. So you could find stuff out, but it wasn't the way that the, the internet and the World Wide web came out to be where everything is at the tip. Anyway, he was saying, um, I can't go because I have to. I have a scene that happens on a private jet, and I don't know what the interior of a private jet looks like. And and I we were talking on the phone, and I said, "Do you think anybody that is going to read your book knows what the interior of a private jet looks like?" Mm-hmm. You know, dude, rent a James Bond movie and look at the inside mm-hmm. of a you know a, a Learjet. They haven't changed in. 40 years and, and but the but the point was he was just completely stressing over a detail that didn't matter gotcha and yeah. uh and and you know he could have made it you know well it's my private jet happens to be covered in pink mohair there you go um you know you get to you get to choose your own adventure um but but i i think the discipline of it is the best thing and you know and always keeping in mind that you don't want you want a reader to be thinking about questions and answers in their mind. That's what suspense is. Even Mm -hmm. if you're writing a love story or a fairy tale, there should be this sort of thing in the, this motor that, that uh, pushes the reader on to say, I've got to find out why that happened or why that happened. So you, and they can be big and little things, you know, you, you might have a big thing like who's the killer and you might have a, a little thing like, well, why did he fix his own brakes? And uh, you know, and, and, you ration those, but the one question you don't want a reader to ever ask is, why am I reading this? Mm-hmm. So so when I wrote my first book, when I wrote Practical Demon Keeping, I assumed that it was going to be read by some overworked editor, probably a lower level editor or reader at a at a film company who hated their job and was looking for a reason to put it down. For And certainly for the first hundred pages, I tried to not give them a reason to put it down. And I mm-hmm. wrote with that in mind. Okay. So you have, so, and when you come to the page with that in mind, you're going to write with a certain pace, you're going to write with a certain economy, you're going to write with a certain energy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and when I'm saying those things, you might say, I don't know how to do any of those things. Well, you, you learn mm-hmm. and you, and you learn from other writers. You learn from people that you admire and, um, and, you know, and you can learn, but I, I have a quote in the beginning of, uh, uh, an author's blessing in the beginning of Lamb that says every book reveals perfection by either by what it is or what it is not. Mm-hmm. And you can learn by bad books too. Um, 
you can, you know, go back to things that you go, well, this person really doinked this up. And then you see how they did it and you go, I'm not going to do that. But, but the other thing about having a memory of what you've read is you can say, well, let's see, Robert Silverberg dealt with that, pro, that uh, problem and let's see how he did it. And you'll very seldom take the same route that they did, but it will break loose how you're going to do it when you, when you encounter a logistic problem or you, know, you, you feel like you're writing yourself into a corner. So it, it keep, keep in mind that your best teachers are the people who you're trying to step into the, into the, uh, into the street with. You know, you're not trying to be the best in your workshop or the best in your class. Um, you're trying to be a professional, or at least that's how I looked at it. And so I had to be as good as, you know, Dean Koontz and Stephen King and those guys before I could make it. So that's what I measured it up. And that, and that sounds probably to you like that would be stultifying pressure, mm-hmm. but it's not. You just have to go to go to the, those guys um, or, or women and, and say, what can I learn from this person? You know, because there's instruction in, in every good book. And then as, as you get better, you may find that, wow, I can write better than that person um, in certain instances. Or they're, you know, they're working from a template, and I don't want to do that. Or, so, but you know, that's a really long, short answer. But the short answer is, is the disi- you know, keep the discipline of it and try and right. do it every day. Because inspiration will come more often if you happen to be in front of the page or the screen. Gotcha. Actually, I have sort of a follow-up to that, and I've been thinking about this. As Go ahead, a, Billy. As a writer, does does this take some of the fun out of reading, of joyful reading? Because as someone that works in radio, now I can't just listen to radio without thinking, oh, I could have done better than that, or I wonder how they did that, or, mm-hmm. oh, I don't like that edit that I just heard in the yeah. commercial. Yeah, quite honestly, it, it, quite honestly, and, and it's not, it's, it's, the it's not just because you're always looking at craft it's just because you become a lot more cynical maybe that's not the right word or your expectations are higher because you want to you want something that will teach you it's like what can i what is this person doing that i haven't seen before what is this person doing that will help me do my work better mm-hmm. and you know that's the great thing about writing is you're never going to be good enough at it um you have to kind of accept that and my wife got, tells me every book when i'm when I go, this is it. I don't know what I'm doing, and I'm gonna die homeless and alone in a in a cardboard box, cradling the urine-soaked copies of my book. <laughs> I don't know why they're urine-soaked, but in that in that dystopian <laughs> fantasy, they always are. Um, and uh, <laughs> she says, "You say that every book." And I go, "Yeah, but this is the real the real thing." But you know, so you always have expectations that you're going to get better, and then when you start reading stuff, and and once you have a bunch of books in print, people send you stuff to read for comment, you know, and, and there's sort of a hopefulness on it that, you know, oh my gosh, if I could just get best book ever and, and you, and you frankly don't have enough time to read them. So, so when you read something and it doesn't grab you in the first 20 or 30 pages, it's like, oh Christ, I know this story. It's a guy who escapes from hell and kills a bunch of people or it's a guy, you know, you just have these same motifs that come up and they're new for that writer. You know, there's not a criticism that people don't, don't uh, aren't being original. It's, you know, they're, it's their first time they've they've written you know the story about someone escaping from hell or or something of that nature. Um, but so the the shorter answer is yeah, it does take a little bit of the joy out of it. If, if first and earliest, you know, because you're looking for something to teach you or you 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 want to delight in the craft. 
And then later on, because everything is homework, everything is the assignment. Mm-hmm. You know, you get, I, right now I probably have 10 books that I should be reading because I said, I'll try and take a look at it knowing full well, I'd never get around to reading the book, not because I'm being mean or, or, or casting someone aside is because I just don't have time. Um, and you read a lot of, I read a lot of research. I, I know writers, I have writer friends who don't research the books at all. Everything comes from their imagination. But I, I think my excuse is I write comedy and I need to react and research. My reaction to research mm-hmm. can often be funny. So I'm always reading some arcane thing, you know, about history or art or literature or uh, armaments or something that, that is not fun. I mean, it's, it's interesting, but it's not, it feels like homework. Yeah. If you ever took a shot at and nonfiction, what would, what would you want to write about? At nonfiction? Yeah, if you yeah. ever want, decide um, to take a shot at, at something nonfiction, what interests you enough to go, I want to write about this? Oh, wow. I'm so, you know, the, the, the problem with that is I'm so flaky. I mean, I, try, <laughs> I worked at a small paper. One of the things about being in a small town is great is you can try stuff you're not really good at. And I worked at a paper, and all I, all I was doing for them was writing captions on, on layout day for the photos. And I would just come up with stuff that was so far beyond the pale of what was actually happening in the photo that they said, no, I don't think that you're going to be writing stuff for us anymore. Maybe we'll just let you paste stuff up. <laughs> um, um, so, so, you know, the problem with nonfiction is it actually requires you to be accurate. Whereas with fiction, I, people come on like bats don't live at that altitude. And I'm like, so you didn't have any problem with the fact that the bat talked. You have a problem <laughs> if they don't live at that altitude. Um, um, so you always have that excuse. Uh, but if I were going to do it, I would probably, uh, wow, I, I would probably write science that is, makes it, um, accessible and try and make it accessible. Sort of maybe like, uh, Douglas Adams's last chance to see, or the adventure stuff that, uh, mm-hmm. Tim Cahill writes about, um, and, and cultural stuff. I was an anthro major at Ohio State, and okay. um, I didn't get far in that program, but it did teach me how to observe. And, I've, and for a couple of my novels, I've gone into other cultures. And I could write about those, and I think, even if you're writing nonfiction, it, it, you, know, you want to make it a story, and I think I could make it a story if, if I were to write ethnography. Like, you know, um, one of my favorite ethnographies that I read in college was called The Forest People, about the the pygmies of, of what then was the Congo. And uh, so I would probably write, you know, either marine mammal biology or, uh, and, and research or uh, anthropology. Mm-hmm. Um, that Just those things interest me. And so it would, wouldn't be that different from what I do now. It just, you know, probably fewer camel jokes and stuff. <laughs> Um, You know, I heard you mention uh, Douglas Adams, and I remember Sherry and I talking about, um, you know, your your material and and how it's described and and is so it kind of felt like there's there's a kin there's a kinship there um you know it's like hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy restaurant at the end of the universe stuff like that or those books that kind of were those ones that you were familiar with that you read a lot that that inspired you to oh, write the way you absolutely absolutely it's it's mm-hmm. not an accident that practical demon keeping has the sound of a how-to book okay the same way that hitchhiker's guide of of uh Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is sounds like a how-to book. Yeah. yeah, Adams was a huge inspiration to me simply because he did something that I, up to that point, wouldn't have been sure you could do, which is to write a funny mm-hmm. science fiction novel. And 
And I remember, um, you know, s- sitting down with a friend of mine, we were both aspiring writers at the time and both had no really rational reason to think that we would be successful at it. Mm-hmm. And I said, I want to do for horror what, what uh, Douglas Adams did for science fiction and um, sort of set out to do that. And I think, pro- I think I probably missed that um, mark in some ways, but in other ways I've expanded it because I didn't stay in the horror genre. I've done books all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, Douglas Adams was a huge influence on me. Um, and, and I don't think I write anything like him, but the fact that his stuff was funny and had all the elements of a, of a solid story um, was, and, and he sort of makes fun of, obviously, the conventions of, of it. Yeah. And I sort of do that, uh, particularly in my early earliest book, in, in Practical Demon Keeping. You know, I have a character that's based on H.P. Lovecraft, and he's like, w- running around using a lot of adjectives to, uh, to describe things and, and referring to ancient, you know, dead civilizations and stuff like that. And that's all for people who are familiar with, with those tropes. You know, they'll find it funny, but if you don't know those tropes, then... You know, you you don't miss anything. I hope, and I and yeah. I think Douglas Adams did that a lot in in his uh, in his Hitchhiker's books, you know, where he made fun of you know faster than light travel and and uh, relativity and certain a lot of scientific uh, scientific precepts that in science are often ignored in science fiction. Yeah. yeah, I I mean I read Hitchhikers. I think when I I first read it when I was thirteen, thirteen or fourteen. And mm-hmm. then I made a point. I read it every year for like the next ten years straight. It would be my. I started my summer vacation by reading Douglas Adams. That was that was just a thing, and uh, you know the, the improbability drive and the bistro math and just yeah. So that was all out there. So now you have to start your vacations I, reading Christopher Moore. I do. Yeah. This is true. Yes, I have a stack of books that I have to read that are just it's almost as tall as my son, and he's six two now. So point so yeah. Oh, I am so getting practical demon keeping. Okay. So. Yeah, you were reading. Start. You were reading through the synopsis while we were I, chatting. I was reading a chapter excerpt as you okay. were chatting. Yes. All right, but um, practical demon keeping was the first book, but the latest book is noir. So tell us, tell us a bit about that one. Well, it, you know, the title sort of gives away the genre, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> and it, it takes place in in 1947, uh, San Francisco. It's uh, there. There's sort of. And this is my, I, I'm not an expert in noir. I'm not, I've read, you know, I read sort of the, I guess what you'd call the classics when I was in my 20s, like, uh, you know, Dashiell Hammett and Raymond Chandler and a little mm-hmm. bit of Mickey Spillane, although I kind of thought he was an awful writer. And, <laughs> um, and Jim Thompson and James M. Kane and David Goodis and those guys. But there's the convention of sort of the detective, which you have in Chandler and Hammett. And that's not really noir. It was filmed sort of noirish when it was filmed. And, and noir comes from a film tradition, not really uh, fiction. Um, and then you have Jim Thompson, who wrote like, uh, uh, I think, Love My, Love Me Sweet, and uh, The Killer Inside, and The Grifters. And, and it's just this relentlessly dark motif. And it usually begins with some poor mug who works in a, in a hotel, and some dame comes in and it just turns his life upside down and hoses him over. And that's the tr- tradition that noir is in. It's about a guy named Sammy Tipton who works in a bar in North Beach, which is the Italian neighborhood in San Francisco, mm-hmm. and um, with a lot of hustlers and stevedores and you know and, and mooks and mugs, as he says. And then uh, this dame comes in, you know, and, and she's a dish, she's a bombshell, and she's and she's fast talking like Carol Lombard in the in the old movies, mm-hmm. and. Um, 
And so, uh, you know, it, that, and, it, and we're off to the races. And to make it a Chris Moore book, originally I was, I was going to work on a Shakespeare book and, and have part of it set in 1947, San Francisco. But I, and so I had done the research on that year, and, and I will go into the reasons why I picked that year. Um, and then my editor said, no, we don't want to do another Shakespeare book right now. Mm-hmm. And I had never encountered that. You see it in movies all the time. But the truth is, I, in my experience, you don't really pitch books. You know, you send in a proposal and they go yes or no. And, and um, in my experience, it had always been yes. And this is after you already have a contract that's not cold off of the street. Mm-hmm. And um, I had sent in a proposal for a Shakespeare-based book, which I've written two already, and they said, we don't want that one right now. We, you know, we can do that next, but let's do something different, a one-off. And so I was in the position of being on the phone and, and coming up with a story, which, again, you hear from screenwriters all the time, but I would never had to do that. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, I could write another whale book and marine mammal, because I've always wanted to do that. And New Yorkers are like, nah, whales are outdoors. I don't think so. <laughs> and, um, and, uh, and, and I said, well, or I could do like a, multi-stopcony kind of thing set in 1947 San Francisco. And my editor goes, yeah, we'll do that. And I'm like, in my mind, I'm going, seriously? You don't <laughs> want the multi-page proposal that works out all the details of the book I was going to write. You want the one line, how about a multi-stopcony kind of thing? And she said, yeah, do the multi-stopcony kind of thing. Um, <laughs> I was like, okay, this is, this is what publishing is like. So that's happening. And so... Uh, and, and so then I had to come up with a story, and I just start, started very broadly with, with the idea that I would do it on, from a working person's motif um, in, in noir, not a detective, and that I needed sort of the thing that would make it a Chris Moore story, because it's got to be weird. Um, and I just I wasn't finding that, and I just kept doing general uh, Google searches of San Francisco 1947. And like on the third page of Google, which exists, uh-huh. um, I found this this thing that from a UFO conspirator, conspiratist, uh-huh. conspiratist, whatever, and um, and it was just you know you know how Google just picks things out of a big block of text that may not have any other context, and it said and it said well and we know that General Ramsey was in San Francisco in 1947. And I'm like who's General Ramsey? So I read the rest of the article. And he was the commander of Roswell in you know, Roswell, New Mexico in 1947, which is the year that the crash happened. And I went, oh, Here I you think go. I may have what I'm going to have make this a Chris Moore book. So lightning strikes. Sammy is is when when the cheese Stilton is the girl's name uh-huh. and like the cheese. And so he just calls her the cheese. <laughs> when she comes into his bar, there just happens to be standing there this Air Corps general. Um, who is from Roswell, New Mexico, and tells Sammy, don't worry about it, nothing's ever happened there. And nothing ever had up till that year. And uh, he's trying to arrange some entertainment in San Francisco. So I bring sort of the element of what's going on in, in Roswell and other parts of the United States uh, in 1947 to North Beach and San Francisco, and you have all the things attendant to Society at that time, which is a giant demographic change, and, you know, the Chinese and the Japanese and the African-American neighborhoods and all the post-war things that are going on, and then you have, you know, the Roswell stuff, and then you have uh, Sammy's best friend is a is a guy who works in a nightclub in Chinatown, and one of the phenomenon of that time was uh, Chinese uh, 
performers who were performing like Anglo. So you'd have guys dressing up like Sinatra and girls dressing up like and singing like the Andrews Sisters. And it was the big, a big draw for the upscale San Franciscans. And it really sort of maintained a lot of people in the Chinatown through the Depression and the war years. And, but the people who worked in those clubs were sort of ostracized by the other Chinese community because they were kind of selling out. They were sort of pimping their culture in, in, a, in a way. Hmm. And um, so that's and that is so that brings the you know and, and Eddie Mushu's is what they call him is his nickname. Um, he he sort of takes Sammy into Chinatown and reveals his culture to him in little shocking pieces. And so we have that as part of it. And then um, there's a giant racist cop based on a real guy that looked at the time is trying to to beat the northern end of San Francisco white and. Uh, yeah. And uh, it's, so the, it's those elements, you know, and hijinks ensue. Um, I, I think it's, what what, about. it's a little different, but it has supernatural stuff and it has, uh, you know, a, a snake, um, <laughs> a, a black mamba, because why not? Why not? And, uh, what could go wrong, as you say? And, in your... and, and it, has a lot of, right yeah, it has a lot of tough talk, which uh-huh. is kind of what drew me to it all in the first place was, you know, the way the guys talk in those old 30s and 40s movies and, and mm-hmm. books was. I thought that would be a lot of fun to play with. And so that, that's a lot of it is, you know, you mugs, you mooks, you know, you dames, you can, you know, that yeah. kind of stuff. The old school. I think, well, the, yeah. uh, Tanya's been doing uh, her rapid research as she does when we do our, our interviews. And, and we were, we're looking at a write-up and, and apparently this is, this is the first line of the book is she had the kind of legs that kept her butt from resting on her shoes. Right. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's the, it the language that's alone so- just kind of goes, oh, here we go. Uh, a size eight dame in a size six dress and every mug in the joint was rooting for the two sizes to make a break for it as they watched her wiggle into the door and shimmy onto a bar stool with her back to the door. So that's, I'm like, I oh, know. there we go. I'm in. I'm already <laughs> in. That's, the, and that's just like, that's great. And, and the write-up is, is guys, dames, San Francisco in 1947, a def- deadly African snake, an Air Force general from Roswell, New Mexico. What could go wrong? <laughs> and you're off and running at that point. I, I, uh, yeah, that's that's yeah. Definitely a thing. Well, strange metaphors are really part of of, of that genre, you mm-hmm. know, and especially in in film, you know, um, mm-hmm. this the vo- this sort of awkward voiceover, and so that's that. I, I just had a lot of fun with that. That was actually the funnest part for me was just doing this, the weird, strange metaphors and and points of view of these of these characters who have tried to make their way. Um, but, I for, I yeah, and that, the, that line obviously makes no sense at all. Everybody's legs keep their butt from resting on their shoes. That's <laughs> sort of what legs do, you know. Yeah, <laughs> but it, but it's the whole it's the it's the color it's the aspect that it's it's kind of adding to the the language already. I think it's just it's hilarious. It's like a long time ago. It was like the late '80s, early '90s when comedy was like the huge thing. Um, I remember this one comedian starting off one of those stories. He had the you know, the whole, the lighting changes, and he goes, yeah, and the, a siren split the air like an opera singer wearing a jack, jock strip that fit too tight. And What? <laughs> <laughs> so, that's the kind of thing that yeah. catches your and, attention, and you're like, you're off and running now. Yeah, and it was, I had to sort of pace them out for two reasons. One, that, you know, you, if you over, uh, if you overemphasize, the, if it becomes too much about the language, then people quit following the story. Right. You know, and they're just looking at the page. And, um, and the other thing is it takes forever to craft that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, to, to crafting bad metaphors takes some time. Yeah, and, you just can't fire it, them off. Yeah, i got to get this. Yeah, you can spend all morning trying to figure out what the fog is like, you know, and um, in, in a funny way, in, mm-hmm. in a funny way. And so, so you have to sort of pace them out. But, um, 
you know, I hope I got it about right. I hope I got it to where, okay, I'm, I'm ready for a, for a goofy metaphor now and or a goofy similar simile now, and then I'll just go forward. Um, but it's a, it's a balance. And, uh, and you find it interestingly enough with like really, really good writers who write really good prose. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I don't get through their stuff, even though I really think they write good prose because I'm looking at the sentences, you know, and I, never, and I, it's sort of, like when you're watching a film that has really great production values and you're like looking at all the scenes and stuff, like a Tim Burton film or something, and you right. have no idea what's happening because you're like looking at everybody's costumes and the details and stuff. So, the visual, it's a, it's um, a visual it's feast, so sometimes you get lost Yeah, so lost you really in... have to find a balance in, in the pace of the story and what's interesting going on and, and having colorful language. Mm-hmm. I know that... But it was fun. I know that Sherry got an advanced copy. Sherry, have you gotten a chance to go through all, the whole book just yet? Um, I'm about three quarters of the way through, and mm-hmm. I'm enjoying it so much. <laughs> I will be passing it around oh, when I'm done. <laughs> hopefully, it's a good it's a good break for people. I mean, it's a, it's really it doesn't have any agenda except to entertain you and be funny. And mm-hmm. I think this is a time in in place in society where we just we all need a break. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I'm I'm really feeling that. Yeah. Amen to that. And and Absolutely. so. Yeah, thank God I finished this before the election. Because <laughs> so, I don't know, I don't know if I could have written comedy for six months after it. Because I was, I felt like I was definitely in tragedy mode. Yeah, I'm with um, you. I'm, we're, you're you're in friendly ground here. So yeah, um, yeah, you. Well, it, you know, it, 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 I don't care. I don't care what side of of the divide you're on. You're, mm-hmm. you're stressed. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Nobody's, and and so I think that uh, I'm I'm kind of glad that that this is what I ended up working on at the time because it's not that I I'm not always uh, my stuff's not really socially conscious I guess that mm-hmm. much you know it has some comment on the human condition but I think straight comedy is is what people need right now it's mm-hmm. just escapism you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and you are providing and, uh, that for us. That is awesome. Anybody I got any? So. Yeah. Any last licks from the gang? Billy, Tanya, Chris, share. No, it looks like he's going to be very busy for the next couple of weeks. Oh yeah. Lots of book yeah, signings and. Um, I start Monday night in San Francisco, mm-hmm. Tuesday night in Portland, Thursday and Friday in Seattle, and Saturday I think afternoon in Denver, and, and it goes until. Yeah. Um, Phoenix, Denver, Wisconsin. Well, we wish you safe travels, sir. What's that? I'm sorry. No, it's okay. I was saying just we wish you safe travels because you're going to be busy coming up soon. And uh, Thank you. The book is noir. Uh, It is the author is Christopher Moore. Guys, Dame, San Francisco, 1947, a deadly African snake, an Air Force general from Roswell, New Mexico. What could possibly go wrong? We are going to find out together because I plan on reading this book. Yeah. So, Chris, <laughs> thank you very much for your time today. We really appreciate you spending some, uh, well, some, some time with us this morning. Oh, well, thanks for having me. Good luck with your writing, too. Thank you. I much appreciate it. All righty. Take care. You thank too. You. Take care. And we will be right back. And we are back, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, dudes and dudettes, friends of all ages. That was fun. That was a that good was one. A great interview. I'm so I'm like, okay, I got to get the book from Sherry when she's done with it. But yeah. I think I'm going to go get Practical Demon Keeping 
initially or uh-huh. the the um uh fiends one about getting getting the, the vibe off of him as a as a person and then some of the excerpts you found while we were doing the interview i'm i'm, I'm i was a big fan of douglas adams myself you know, and I, I like I said, I read I read Hitchhikers and all that series often. Yeah, so I think so, I'm gonna start blood sucking fiends. Blood sucking fiends. Yes, I'm into the vampire style. You, you do you, well. Vampires are a thing these days. Yes, they still are, but I still don't believe that vampires sparkle. I'm just gonna throw that out there. No, we got some event coming up. We do. It's our event schedule. <laughs> we can't say plural. The event. It's the though the event. Flower City Comic Con June 9th and 10th at the Floriano Rochester Riverside Convention Center. Tickets are available. We have our launch party coming up on Friday the the eighth, uh, and that will get the whole shindig started. Whole uh, shebang. Draft number one of the panel schedule is done. We're just w- walking through it right now and, and looking fine tuning, fine tuning, seeing where the gaps are, getting that sorted out. Tickets are available not only online but at the following local locations: First Print Comics, Thirteenth Verse Comics, Blades for Life at Puff Palace, End Zone Collectibles. Rhinos Comics and Collectibles, Comic Book Heaven, All Heroes Comics, Comics Etc., Yankee Clipper, House of Cards, Hammer Girl Anime, and Wonderland Comics. So if There's you, lots of spaces. It's a lot of places you can go around town to pick up your tickets for Flower City Comic Con. Or they can get them on our website. You can get them on the website. Like I said, you can do it online. You can do it at the door of the day of. It's mm-hmm. going to be a little, little more expensive, just a couple dollars more. Um, so, you know, for last minute, if you're like, oh, I can go, I'm going to go. So that's, so you have plenty of opportunities. Uh, everyday heroes are weekly spot. Not all heroes wear capes. Who is your hero? Do you know a fireman, police officer, nurse, EMT, military personnel, teacher, or librarian? Who is your personal hero? If so, please let us know all about that person and we will give them a shout out on the air. Please send your nominations to fc3monkeybusiness at gmail.com. You don't have any shout outs this week. So we're going I want to shout out and Go thank ahead. Sherry for everything that she does for us. So shout out to our producer and, yes. and her uh, and her, her associate. Her, her side, I'm not calling him a sidekick. I will. Her <laughs> hetero life mate? I don't know. I, <laughs> really? <laughs> there, he's laughing. I got him. Nice. Did you break Chris? I thought Dolly I, was no, the only one that breaked yeah, Chris. No, we, that's, not, that's not a breakage. Breakage her, is her when he starts. Friday. Breakage is when yeah. he starts laughing and he can't recover. Yeah. You said that, and I immediately went into figuring, well, what's I kick outfit would I wear? There you go. <laughs> you know, he's got yeah, the, I'm thinking the, Arthur. the fuchsia tights. Or oh, Arthur, he's got the, the he's going to be the moth outfit. The moth. So oh, is that your, is it going to be you and Sherry going to be doing a cosplay of the Tick and Arthur? Uh, no. No, oh, Sherry's got to <laughs> come running in. Spoon! <laughs> that, that would be great. Yeah, I don't. I think it's a, there's a potential no, idea there. I don't think so. No, I'm thinking but, of all the ridiculous no, things you guys have planned for me. The least I can do is come up with ideas for you. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Well, we, we'd have to go to Penn and Teller. Okay. Penn and Teller. <laughs> there you go. No, so. Could I go that long without talking? What's that? Could I go that long without talking? Hmm. Oh, Penn and Teller? I yeah. don't know. No. I don't think that's feasible, actually, at this point. Uh, yeah, fair point. Oh, it would be an amazing cosplay uh-huh. if she could pull it right on. That's it. Yep. So um, thank you, Sherry, for everything you do for us. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Oh, thank you. We love you. Both of you guys have been busting your butts for us, and we appreciate it. All right. Uh, you know, one thing. Go ahead. One thing we didn't talk about what? is uh, Christopher Moore was Lamb, um, specifically how 
it kind of relates to dogma when we had the episode the other day. Oh, mm. yeah. Fair point. Fair point. And. No, I just. Uh, no, it's just. Uh, Tanya, if you want a great place to start with his stuff, um, Lamb is. Please, I own I own a physical copy, I own an electronic copy, and I own a, a uh, audible copy. <laughs> that's, oh, cool. like, that's how much I love. Them. And who who read Lamb on the audible copy? Was that the Will Wheaton one? No, that's Fisher Stevens. Oh, Fisher Stevens, right, right, right. Okay. Yeah. All right. He did an amazing job. It's all out there. I would imagine. And so is Fisher Stevens. He's out there too. <laughs> we are all out that's there. That's probably the book. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yep. Our question. Has oh, go ahead. Of, Sherry's read me a lot of Christopher Moore stuff while she was reading it. Uh huh. And there's nothing I haven't laughed at that she's read me. <laughs> you know, he's he's just so funny. That was that was really cool to to hear him talk normal. And you know, he's he's just like one of the guys. Right. That exactly. Was really neat. Exactly. That's it. Was you made it very comfortable to chat with him. It's and, fun. you know, just the little things he was talking about with with writing apply to regular other parts of your life, too. Yeah. You know, not getting hung up in little details, those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. So that was that that was really neat. Really neat. Did I did I overwrite you guys? I mean, were there, did you want to jump in and I missed on that or? Yeah, a little bit, but that's OK. All right. That's okay. why I'm in right now before we got into. The question of the week. Question of the week. <laughs> All right. So we're moving on. Our question of the week comes from Patreon subscriber James Irish. James asks, who, living or dead, would be your dream guest for FC3? So, oh, wow. Tanya, like, Tanya, go uh, with it. You know, I have a feeling I know who you're going to say. Or who like me be in the top three of what Tanya might say? You know, I think I might throw you for a loop. I'm pretty sure you will, but go for it. See what happens. You know, like thinking about it now, I was going through lots of different ones, but thinking now because like listening, I would say Leonard Nimoy. That's a good one. Leonard Nimoy would be yeah, awesome. That came out of left field for you, didn't you? That I was, was expecting Jeremy Renner to be honest. Yeah, well, of you know. course, that, I, everyone knows that that would be yes, a dream guest. That's the but obvious like, one. Leonard but, Nimoy but would be a fantastic guest. Like Len, because of like living or deceased, mm-hmm. who would be the dream guest? Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like just to hear the stories that Shatner would pull on them. Yeah, on on things and getting it from his perspective, right, rather than Shatner's perspective. So yes, I think Leonard Nimoy would be one. Our, uh, another pa- any of the Avengers cast would be good. Another Patreon radical geek answered Bruce Campbell. That's a good choice, I think. Sherry, what would you say, what would you say to that question? Who would be your uh, dream guest? Um, it would probably be a toss-up between Will Wheaton and Felicia Day. Oh, let's get them both. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Chris, how about you? <laughs> okay, we discussed this last night, mm-hmm. and Lefty Ray was the first person I suggested. Who's this? Um, who else? Who else was there? What was the first um, one? What was I the first it? name? I missed it. Leonard Nimoy was the first. Oh, okay. Oh, all right. Yeah, you said it so quick, I missed it. Oh, sorry. So we're on the same wavelength. Yeah. You got anybody uh, else? Yeah. Yes. Um, 
Oh, my God. Brain just turned off. Yeah, because I asked you this last night. You never answered I me what his name was. Last night. No, you didn't. Um, who is it? Then I suggested um, Abraham Lincoln. Okay. Oh. Because he's taller than The vampire hunter. Yeah, I was about to say, he's so good at hunting vampires. <laughs> and, and there was a whole other one that was fighting zombies. Zombie yeah. hunter. Zombie hunter. Abraham Lincoln, with... zombie hunter. Yes. How about you? you guys totally missed that. I was going Fight Club. Oh, okay. Fight Club? Gotcha. I said he's tall and he's got the reach. And, oh, yeah, Vampire Hunter. What, what the? What the? What are you talking about? <laughs> and, you know, then, of course, it was Gandhi because okay. of that. Is there but really a Comic-Con as- kind of a guest bringing in Gandhi? Well, you know he's not going to eat much. Well, it's true. I mean, his, his per diem would be low, and his guarantee would probably be easy to deal with. But, but, but <laughs> Tiny is burying her head into the microphone right now. Really? <laughs> yeah. uh, how about you, Billy? Who okay. would be your your dream guest for FC three? Uh, my obvious answer is Kevin Smith. Yeah, and also I, I've got to go with uh, either Joel Hodgson or Mike Nelson, Mystery Science Theater. True. 2000. I, I think we'd go with Joel for that for because he's the one who kind of made it all start, made it yeah. all happen. Um, and then f- to, for me to round it off, it'd be Mark Hamill. Nice, you know. Yeah. So, I like I like the Leonard Nimoy approach. So that's definitely the, somebody from the. Well, it's very logical. Very logical. Very, it's a logical choice. But uh, but yeah, Mark Hamill because he's just so awesome with the fans. He is too. And I, and actually, now that you mention it, he's a real. He's an honest to goodness geek. Right. He if you if you ever get a chance, I think it was the first or second episode of Kevin Smith's Fat Man on Batman, mm-hmm. he does a two-part interview with Mark Hamill, and he is so knowledgeable uh-huh. about all geek culture. Oh, that's it's amazing. It's stunning, and it's a great, great interview. So that's cool. Check that out. because You know, if you're going to have Mark Hamill, mm-hmm. you got to have Tara Strong with him, too. Oh, right, so she can do Harley Quinn? Yes, and the two of them are both very politically active. Yes. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you follow I follow them both on, on Twitter. Twitter. Yeah, I follow them both. Yeah. So. And along those, uh, along the lines of, uh, oh, who did you say, Kevin Smith? Mm-hmm. I was also thinking of Alan Rickman. Of who? Who? It came out. Alan Rickman. Oh, Alan, Alan Rickman. Rickman. Yeah. Oh my God, he would have been amazing to have. That he would have been amazing to, to sit and talk with. You know, have a cup of tea and, and listen to the, some of the stories he's got. That'd be amazing. And, right. and for somebody else outside the normal um, geekdoms, mm-hmm. I was also of uh, Robin Williams. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The soul of a, a true nerd right and, there. And, and that would be like the, the voice actor. Mm-hmm. Like, like the, 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 that would just pull in everything right there. Oh, yeah. Robin Williams. This, he's, well, he's the, he was the consummate all around. Yeah. I mean, he was. 10,000 years uh, will give me such, such a, a crick in the neck. neck. Yes. All right. Any last licks? Anybody? Yeah. Any last thoughts for the day? Billy? Nope, I'm good. I, I, I'm lucky I have the thoughts I already had. <laughs> the first thoughts of the day. <laughs> Chris and Sherry, how about you guys? Anything to add before we say that that's enough for today? Um, stay inside. Stay, stay inside, inside where it's warm. Stay warm. Yeah. And so well, that's enough for today then. So for Billy, for Tanya, for Sherry, and for Chris, I am Chris, and this has been Monkey Business, a product of the Mighty Monkey Corporation, purveyors and producers of the Flower City Comic Con, coming at you June 9th and 10th at the Floriano Rochester Riverside Convention Center. Find us on Facebook, FC3ROC. Love us on Facebook. Follow us on Patreon. Get your tickets ahead of time. Listen to the podcast. Subscribe to Patreon. Do all sorts of great things, and we will catch up with you very soon. 
You guys have a great week, and we will see you all soon. Take care. Bye-bye.